Okay. So uh, looking at this, um, like mental gremlins is the term I landed on, but if we have something better, I'm totally cool with uh, something else. But the idea being these are your gut instincts um, as well as kind of... Them, you know, Welcome back to another episode of Kendall vs. Kendall presented by JensenUSA.com. This is where we explore the world of bikes and beyond. For our first-time listeners, my name is Jeff Kendallweed. I'm a professional mountain biker. I spent 10 years working on the supplier side of the industry. And as always, my co-host is Jensen USA's very own Seth Kendall, mechanic and marketer who just moved back to the Pacific Northwest. How's it going, Seth? Man, it's going pretty good. Things have been hectic, but we're really excited to be back in the Pacific Northwest, back to my hometown, and enjoying the beautiful area out here. You know, like, I I've really been enjoying this podcast because one, you know, you're one of my personal writing heroes. And so it's a, a great thing to kind of get to know you over uh, the, the internet in a sense. And uh, I, I've been thinking about this a little bit. I was like, it'd be kind of cool to let our customers and listeners uh, join in on getting to know who we are a little bit. And so I thought we'd just kind of open up things a little bit with talking about what uh, jiggling our liver is the term I always use. So, you know, the, the thing <laughs> that's, that's got you excited or happy in life. Uh, so, you know, what's going on with you the last few weeks? Man, I'm trying to get better from this broken shoulders. I've been trail running a ton, not going super fast. I'm doing like 10 and a half minute miles on these runs, but they're on like actual single track. So it's not too bad. Nice. And then I got my motorcycle going again after I had some downtime with the shoulder. So I put a dual sport kit on it, got oh, it all nice. street legal, have a license plate on it. Yeah. So I've been riding around on that thing a little bit and uh, I'm stoked to be doing more motoing this fall and the end of the summer here with my shoulder working again. I've got back on the bike a couple weeks ago and I'm riding this hilarious little Mojo 3. I'm yeah. very out of control and having a ton of fun. That video was super cool and it was cool to see kind of how that, uh, how you translated between the bikes in your recovery and stuff. So definitely a cool focus there. Thanks. How about you? What have you been up to besides moving across the country? Yeah, so that's the main thing, right? Um, but it, that's definitely caused me to ride less bikes. Uh, sadly, if you look okay. at my Strava over the last, uh, man, almost eight weeks now, I have only a handful of rides under my belt. Um, but I did get my uh, Ibis Ritmo finally, and Sweet. I got it out for one ride before taking off on another trip to go record a bunch of videos for Jensen. Um, and man, that bike rips. Like, <laughs> I literally could not say it better. It is so insanely good. Still have to dial in the suspension a bit. But other than that, that thing's great. But beyond that, honestly, it's just about exploring our new area. Um, Hood River in the Pacific Northwest just has like a ton of good food and beer and wine and all that kind of stuff. And I love all that. And so uh, I've actually been finding kind of a new appreciation for IPAs. And I say that really hesitantly because I don't <laughs> love hops, but they've yeah. there's a bunch of beer up here that's um, really evenly balanced. So low on the IBU huh. rating and everything. And so I've kind of been, you know, dabbling in a new style of beer that I'm not usually a huge fan of. So it's kind of cool to step out of my comfort zone a little bit. Right on. I mean, I can't stand gnarly IPAs in the summertime, but in the wintertime, getting home from a cold, wet ride, yeah. then I can get into one of those. And right now I'm more into the kombucha. Fair enough. I'm really digging on sours these days. Um, and I know that's a really polarizing beer of, of sorts. Um, but man, with the different cherries and stuff around this area, 
people are bringing out some amazing sours. That's right. Hood River's got a massive cherry growing scene. I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. So I've actually got a local buddy here who's a dentist, but a hell of a brewer as well. And he's got a, um, a beer fridge with three taps on it. And one of them is a sour with cherries that he did. That's just wow. absolutely fantastic. So we tap into that pretty regularly. Oh, nice. Oh, I need to get down there and visit you in Hood River. We can do a tour. We can ride Post Canyon. Maybe yeah. I'll ride my moto in Post Canyon as well. Yeah. But let's get rolling on our latest topic, mental gremlins. What are we talking about when we say the term mental gremlin? Yeah, man, mental gremlins are something that are both good and bad. It's kind of like the old movie gremlins, right? There's that sweet little one, but then there's the other ones that turn all psychotic. (laughs) That's kind of the same thing here, right? It's not always bad, but it's not always good. And here's what they are. It's basically that inner voice inside your gut or in your brain that tells you, no, don't go. You don't want to do this. It's too risky. And there are going to be times where you need to listen to that. And there's going to be times uh, when you need to kind of push past those. So we kind of wanted to look into that today um, and see, you know, when do you need to push past these mental gremlins? And when do you need to listen to them and say, you know, not today, or I'll come back to that. Or maybe I need to session this line in a different way. Um, And so we really wanted to kind of discuss how to deal with mental gremlins and do that kind of thing. So I imagine that you're kind of dealing with this right now, right? You just had kind of a big wreck where uh, kind of watching the videos, it wasn't like you were riding way outside of your limits, but there was this thing that happened. I was riding in a straight line and all of a sudden I'm on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It was a total accident. The worst kind of crash to have, but the kind of crash that happens to all of us. Yeah. So... How does overcoming something like a a big wreck like that, you know, how does that uh, process out for a guy like you? Well, I wouldn't say I've overcome it yet. Um, So, you know, when people are riding mountain bikes and they start off, I don't know, for me, when I started riding mountain bikes, I was very much an adrenaline junkie and just wanted to pin it and Mm -hmm, get as gnarly mm -hmm. as I could. And that was like, it was super fun to ride on the ragged edge. 20 years later down the road, you know, I've been hurt a couple of times, sure, but that adrenaline feeling's kind of gone away a little bit. And so now when I'm riding, it's way more analytical. So when you're talking about mental gremlins, you got to kind of consider your initial perspective towards the sport. Are you riding because you're expressing yourself and it's good exercise, it's Mm -hmm. fun in the woods, or are you riding because you want to send it, you're looking for a bit of a thrill, you want to push your own limits? So you've got to kind of look at mental gremlins within either of those. There's there's more more context than just those two for mountain biking, but... Mm -hmm. Those are two major ones that I have seen with folks, you know, in our in our roughish age group and um, at least where I've been riding over the years. I know some people ride more for the community, which is fine and mm-hmm. all that, but then they'd probably have a very different aspect or um, context on mental gremlins. But yeah, for me, I've been thinking about how much it would suck to crash to my left side and about how I should yeah. maybe settle down a little bit until I have my strength back. Yeah, and I totally feel you on that. Um, you know, we've talked about, I wrecked earlier this year, a shoulder injury as well. And uh, I I actually never hit that jump in the same way again. I it, You could roll it into this kind of sketchy little log thing. And I found myself just going, you know what? For right now, that is not the jump I'm going to focus on. And it was funny because I was hitting other jumps bigger, harder, farther, faster. (laughs) But for whatever reason, that little one, I just made the decision that that gremlin was just going to live there permanently. And so, you know, I ended up leaving that area and that gremlin's still there. I probably will never hit that jump. And it's just the way it is. So kind of with that idea, what do you think the difference between like 
good and bad mental gremlins are and how do you identify when there's a good one or a bad one? Dude, I can't tell what a good mental gremlin would be. Do you oh, want to give me some insight on that? Yeah, no, I totally have them. Like, um, so okay. uh, we had a series of jumps again at my old trails here, and it was not a really hard series, but you came in through a kind of weird corner, and then there was like a real quick succession of a couple of jumps. One just being a setup jump, and then the next one being a little tabletop, and. The margin of error was pretty small on this. You had to land just in the right area on both jumps. And there have been times where I've come in, I'm you know feeling kind of off on my game in, on the trail, and I hit the first jump, and I land awkwardly and just absolutely scrub the next one because I just know that I'm just not in my you know right frame of mind in that situation. And so for me, that mental gremlin that day is like, Hey man, you're not there. Like you're not riding it. Ah, okay. You're not riding okay. on point. And so, you know, I just stopped. And then there's other days where I come in and that same set of jumps, I come in and, you know, maybe I didn't just quite get it right that first time, but I'm like, oh man, I totally have that. And I would actually stop, turn around, hike back up and go session that. And so for me that day that that gremlin, instead of being a bad gremlin, was just telling me like, Hey, it's time to go back up and just, you know, do this again. You got to do it a little differently. And I did have to like kind of overcome the fact that I had screwed up before, right? Like I had to think, okay, I need to make sure I get this tire right here when I do it and think more precisely about your run. So I think that's kind of the difference, right? There's there's times when I have to listen to that gremlin versus the others when I'm like, yeah, let's push you to the side and go just session this again. Okay, so you got to be analytical as well as... Yeah, because I think there's been some times I've pushed past them and it's gotten me in trouble, right? Uh, riding, oh, yeah. riding Mammoth, I, I definitely had some moments like that. And uh, I haven't spent a ton of time at Mammoth, but the few times I did, there was a couple times I got it got in over my head for sure, and was just like, I'm, I got this. I'm gonna go session it again. You know, I do my best to separate my emotions from the, I guess you could call them the gremlins or whatnot. So I've been getting pretty analytical. Is this something I can do? Is this something I can't do? And a lot of the times when we're on like a video trip or whatnot. We're basically trying to find the biggest, hardest, gnarliest stuff in mm -hmm. a given location. And then we're usually on a schedule. So it's like, show up, look at it once. There's no one around who's riding. So it's like, all right, well, this might be possible. Yeah. All right. Can we film this in the time that we have? Can I make this ridiculous jump that no one has done yet in this, <laughs> in this area that has a riding scene? Hmm. And then it's like basically a decisioning process, but it's... Yeah. In that instance, from trying to decide if something is too big or if it's not big enough, like, yeah, I just try to separate emotions entirely. I think that's where problems come up is when okay. you listen to the emotions a little bit too much. So if you get too nervous on something and you go and hit it anyhow, then you're listening to your, if you're not listening to your good mental gremlins, as you'd say, yeah. then you're going to hit it super tense, be prone to braking too hard. If something goes a little wrong, you're going to freak out and grab the brake super hard and you could very easily cause a crash. Whereas if you hit the same section super loose you'd, and confidently, you probably wouldn't have a problem. So, yeah, there definitely is that, um, you know, I've, I've got a couple of jumps that are exactly that where I had, um, again, it was a wreck, you know, I had been kind of building up on a, a jump and I, I had a wreck. It wasn't anything major, but it just happened to be on the same shoulder that had been messed up before. Oh, and I, I literally fun. had to tell myself uh, every time, because even though it didn't really do, I mean, it kind of hurt, but like I just 
was fine a little week later. You know, it wasn't all that big of a deal. But every time I rolled into that jump, I had to tell myself, like, let go of the brakes and think loose, think loose. <laughs> like, and yeah, it was funny because, you know, you talk about being analytical and that's actually mm-hmm. what saved me on that. I, like, I, I, I'm guessing I'm just putting that together now that I... I was like pushing away that emotion and uh, of fear and stuff and just going into the you can do this, you know, the speed you like and just kind of calculating the whole thing. And uh, that calculation apparently is what allowed me to actually be pretty confident on this jump ultimately. You know, for me, breaking down a, a sketchy line into individual little bits and pieces, that helps a ton. So if okay. I find something super, super sketchy, like in the Ritmo LA video, there's a water tower thing. Yeah. And I wanted to jump off of it, but it was like an eight foot drop to flat. And then right after on the run out, there was a boulder the size of a Volkswagen Beetle kind of <laughs> hidden behind some bushes. So it looked like you could ride into it and no big deal, but there was a real granite boulder in there that would just stop you dead in your tracks. And on the other side of that, there's a bunch of stumps right at pedal height. So the run out was just super sketchy. The drop was pretty darn big. And I've only got a handful of big drops and stuff in me until I'm just too wore out to keep filming. Mm-hmm. And then to get, I, I thought it was kind of lame just to pedal in circles on top of the water tower and then try to jump off straight. Like, ah, not that rad. <laughs> but then I was thinking, you know, it'd be really cool to jump onto this water tower. And there was a scrap piece of aluminum hanging out there in the side of the trail and some cinder blocks. So I was thinking like, well, maybe we could just build a ramp out of this because it's too far and too high to bunny hop. And yeah. Yeah. The, the run-in had a problem because there's a bunch of rusty, broken nails on the run and you had to kind of <laughs> pedal around some. This, this is Mother Nature. This is out in the wilderness. There's just tons of trash in the desert in Southern California. You know <laughs> You'd be what, surprised. You know what the rest of us are saying? Those are all signs of the world telling you you're not <laughs> supposed to jump onto this water tower. I know, but the on. way the light was, it would look sweet and it was like individually these things were all pretty doable but yeah. there was so many ways it could go so wrong and i got pretty nervous and like to be nervous about an eight foot drop about it an eight foot long jump out onto this little thing like none of that stuff was big enough to really be like legitimately nerve-wracking so right. i had to break it down into individual little aspects so the first thing was the run-in took 20 minutes cleaned up the run-in practice literally practiced the run-in a few times to see because you're blind pedaling into it go around a corner and then you can see your ramp so okay got really familiar with the run-in and then the ramp was just so sketchy so rolled into it kept on hitting at the front tire a little bit to see if it would because sometimes if you hit a launch ramp it'll actually slide backwards yeah. instead of sending you up in the air and that can get really sketchy i remember that from when i was a kid Right. I'm sure everyone's experienced that you hit a ramp and it's just instead of you going up, the ramp goes forwards and then you usually go over the bars. Yep. Yep. And I was looking at a cement landing pad with a very sharp piece of rebar sticking out of it <laughs> downward. So if I didn't make it onto the top, I would just get skewered by this thing. So eventually I realized that there was enough cinder blocks behind this that it would probably send me up and I should just bunny hop as high as I could once I hit it to minimize the forces going straight forwards and kind of mm-hmm, maximize mm-hmm. the upward lift. And so it make it do as little work as possible to make it less likely to, you know, collapse. So eventually just hit it and made it onto the water tower. And then my next fear was not being able to slow down in time. Right. And if I were to overclear it and land and then be kind of rebounding while trying to pull up, it could be really awkward and could endo off the end of this water tower. Cause it was kind of a narrow, lily pad to make it onto and off again so i was all freaked out about it but tried it the first time and 
overcleared the gap, but still managed to land and hop on the brakes and turn no problem before hitting the drop. Because I wasn't really ready to hit the drop yet. And yeah. Once I broke it down and hit the first, we got the run in dialed, got comfortable with that blind takeoff, and then finally made it onto the water tower. Then it was, all right, the first two pieces, the first two building blocks are there. The third one should totally be okay now that I've got confidence on these first two. And then went for it. And I think I did it twice that day just to be sure we got enough shots and angles. But yeah, just breaking it down in individual bite-sized pieces. I do that for almost every video we shoot. There's something that has to get broken down into a bunch of different things. A little pedal kick gap in the Mexico video. Same thing. It's like four different moves that we practiced individually. And then stringing it together is really easy once you know you can do every little aspect. So your jump sequence in a row if you do them one at a time and get comfortable with each one and you don't have to think about the whole thing as this overwhelming obstacle, but you can think about it as whatever, three, four, I forget how many jumps it was, but you think about each jump individually, then all of a sudden it becomes more tangible that it's yeah. just these three pieces and then you've built your your stunt. Yeah. And I think that brings us to this idea of sessioning, right? Like um, one of the things that's helped me a lot um, is, you know, going to... Uh, a smaller jump park or like a skate park or something and just repeating a line over and over and over and (laughs) over. And then I started applying this, you know, to mountain biking as well, where I would just, uh, you know, stay at one spot for, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, you know, two hours, whatever it took Mm -hmm. to just kind of get that familiarity um, built into my muscle memory as well as into my mental game, right? Like, I knew exactly, I was like, put your tire right here, pop at this point, like, you know, suck up here, drop in there. Like it was all just like calculated and, and worked out. And it's funny cause I, I don't think I've ever actually thought about it as like analytical, you know, I was always just like, no, I just have to like dial this in, but I wasn't thinking about it as like, Hey, I'm breaking this down into its part. So thanks for helping me realize that that's what I was doing. (laughs) Um, yeah, we do that for downhill and enduro racing enduro racing. You really have to do that because you don't have time to practice the whole stage multiple times. You've got time for one run, one test run down the stage. If you get to something tricky, it's good to ride it, not just twice, but like three times and really commit that one tricky section to memory And then you've got to remember the whole section, the whole trail and where that section is within and not forget about how you're pacing to get there. But yeah, that idea of sessioning it, that one tricky section, it helps a ton. And then you only need one practice run rather than wasting all your practice time on one trail. Yeah. And actually a shout out to Pink Bike and Privateer series for that. Um, Man, that series is so cool. I'm so addicted. But he does exactly that, right? Like he's out on the trail and he's sessioning these just single sections and just finding that mm-hmm. perfect line and and getting his confidence to attack it in the best way and everything. So, um, But you've got to be ready for when you miss that perfect line and not get bummed out and lose your concentration and confidence when you do miss that and you have to ride the wrong way and just carry up and keep going. Yeah, so, so you got to shake that mental gremlin, right? Like be able to yeah, tell it, yeah, get, off, a little bit. get off my back. <laughs> I'm going to be fine on the next one. I'm calculated. I'm analytical. So um, do you have any tricks beyond kind of just the analytical side of things of reducing your mental gremlins? Is there ways that, you know, like you said, kind of if you missed a section, how between that section that you messed up and the next section, do you shake that off? Man, I think it's just a matter of consciously removing your emotions from your thought process and just trying to be as black and white as possible. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's really it. I mean, you know, one technique that I think has worked for me in the past is to um, 
to remove my focus from the thing that I did wrong there and to put it on something that's quite different. So if I'm, uh, again, like let's say I mess up a jump section, uh, I'll often kind of tell myself that, hey, maybe I'm going to skip a few jumps here to get my flow in corners. And I'm going to like rail corners and uh, work on attacking a root section a little differently I'm going, you know, I just, I'm in a sense taking my mind off of the fact that I did that. And then when I come back to, you know, another series of jumps or something that's, you know, techier and harder, um, I'm no longer concentrating on the fact that I made that mistake back there. And uh-huh. I'm focusing on the fact that like, wow, I was railing those corners. Like you, you could like literally feel the unvelcroing of the tire against the dirt or whatever. Like that's the <laughs> thing I'm focusing on instead of the like, unvelcroing of the tire against the dirt. Yeah, man. I need to use that in an Instagram caption somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually had a buddy. So shout out to Ryan Brainer. He'll be listening to this, but he just had his first unvelcroing in a berm, and he like texts us all. He's like, "Oh my god, that was the best feeling ever! I was railing it." So shout out Ryan. <laughs> so uh, congrats on that. Nice. So yeah, I think that's one of the the big ones that I use for mental gremlins. Um, cause it's really easy to get caught in my head. And so it's just nice to distract myself with something else. And then I come back to those jumps or whatever. And all of a sudden I have the flow of other features to allow me to relax and to, you know, be a little looser and more comfortable in those jumps. So, man, one of the hardest gremlins to get over is when you're show up at a new spot, like either it's jumps or it's the side of a race course and you see other people, shredding so hard right and then all of a sudden your confidence goes out the window it's like uh look what he just did and i'm supposed to jump that no way yeah (laughs) no absolutely i totally understand that um i had a similar thing the other day um riding post canyon in hood river kind of for the first Mm -hmm. times here like i've only been out a handful of times and was brand new out on the ritmo for the first ride and um found a trail that has a series of tabletops on it that I hadn't seen until then. I'd ridden okay. several times there, but um, just hadn't seen this trail. And so I was like, you know what? It's all tabletops. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to like start feeling out this suspension and stuff. So I had already set the precedent really low that like I was not sending these jumps. I was literally like probably going to like table hop most of them and just kind of feel out the suspension and stuff. And this guy goes down in front of me and like he's doing pretty good. He's like sending them nicely, you know, not huge, but like real comfortable. And I let him go first and I give him a good amount of space. And then I was like, okay, cool. I'm in my like chill space. And I start going down. And all of a sudden I realized that at the end of the jumps, he's turned around and is watching me. And so all of a sudden I'm (laughs) stiff. I'm like rigid. I'm uncomfortable. I'm scrubbing way too hard. Like, yeah, it was, it was terrible. And I just, I had no good excuse, but it was just that funny thing that there is a peer pressure that exists out there, right? Like whether it be that they're riding at a high level or they're watching you or whatever it is. And yeah, man, it's hard to, to shake that. So do you have tricks for us there? Anything we can learn? I do actually. Yes. (laughs) I need it. I get this a lot when I show up at BMX jumps, like really gnarly BMX dirt jumps. And it's just like, all right, I'm supposed to be jumping these. These guys are 15, 20 feet high in the air. Holy cow. So I I do two things. One, I just start cheering people on and just get them extra pumped to shred extra hard. And then I'll just start talking to people. 
and just just chatting a little bit, break the ice, see what's going on. And that helps a ton with getting relaxed and realizing what's going on. And oftentimes, once you've cheered someone else on, they're way more likely to cheer you on. And then that'll help you a ton get through it. And oftentimes, we don't give ourselves enough credit in that situation that we'll see someone shredding and just assume it's way sicker than anything we could ever do. Yeah. But in reality, it's very similar. Yeah. And it's just, it's, you don't get to see yourself from that third person point of view. So you don't realize that you're riding just like that as well. So once you get that same person who you just got intimidated by to cheer you on, it totally, totally 180s your mental gremlins there, which yeah. can kind of sometimes get you into trouble. But I don't know. I think at that point, you're so confident you can, you'll end up being fine, whatever happens. I don't know. Yeah, and I think there's also something to to just realizing that people don't care, right? Like, I, <laughs> so I've been to, uh, we just got a new Velo Solutions pump track in Hood River. Uh, I helped oh, cool. dig and build on it a little bit. Uh, so super stoked. It's really close to my house. And like, uh, I was standing there right as they opened it uh, for people to ride on. And there was this guy, Steve, that was just shredding this thing. I mean, like, tires were like just about burping off the rim through corners and oh, then man. he was jumping on a skateboard and like flying through this thing like just <laughs> i literally everyone was just like what and then like i ended up talking to this guy and like he's just super cool just really nice and like i immediately went from like kind of being intimidated by him in that he was so good at writing i mean just so fast and manualing everything whatever to all of a sudden he i was just like now this guy doesn't care how good I am. Like he just is a nice guy and he's stoked to have people out riding bikes. And, and like, I think that's most people out there. That's most riders. And you know, I don't have to perform at their level for them to have stoke for me and to want me riding there and everything. Uh, and so I think there is something to that, right? You engage with people to disengage that gremlin that's on there. So, um, I think this brings us to another concept too, um, is, there are people who approach a, a feature with a mental gremlin. Um, I think back to Holder Crooks area in Southern California that we rode all the time. And there's a series of jumps kind of at the, the bottom and a couple of gaps in there. Nothing crazy big, but they were bigger jumps. And a lot of people would get there and kind of like you could see the mental gremlin happening. And we always question, like, how far do we push our friends uh, versus you see the mental gremlin happening. People will be shaking yeah. and wouldn't speak in a confident voice. Oh, man. Yeah. So the question is always like, how far do we push our friends to, you know, make them successful at this? And when do we say, you know what, it's time for us to back off and let them <laughs> let them submit to that gremlin this time you know yeah. uh how do you do you have any ideas on like how we recognize when to back off and when to push somebody further um no <laughs> <laughs> i'm usually uh, the instigator i've been to the emergency room with a lot of friends and i've seen a lot of accidents happen on the trail so i don't have a very good answer uh, there. <laughs> and that's fair that's fair you know uh, my thing i've always just told my friends i'm like hey it I'm willing to push you. I'm willing to, um, you know, teach you through this and to even tow you in on the line. Like I'm willing to do all that because towing in is like seriously one of my best ways to, to learn a jump. Um, but you know, I'm willing to do that. But if you're not confident, you're not going to be confident when you leave the air or leave the ground and go into the air. So 
Uh, that's kind of been my go-to is that like, I push them with like, Hey, I'm here for you and I will help you through this. But if you're not confident, like, let's just go back and we'll try some other jump that's smaller that will get you prepared for this. So that's generally my go-to because I don't want to be in the ER with my friends as much as possible. Like, it, I don't want to either, but people often, I mean, I don't know, like we're going to go riding and like, yeah. all right, well, let's, let's go. Let's ride as fast as we can. Let's shred. Like, yeah. Well, normally I'm riding with folks at a pretty high level and I just assume like most folks know their own limits. So yeah, I try not, I, I kind of think of it as babysitting a little bit and I, I don't know if someone tells me that I shouldn't do something, chances are I'm going to go and do exactly that <laughs> in a matter of seconds. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, that came from the BMX world where kids are all very likely to just send it huge. Yeah. And they, if I try to tell anyone not to do something, it's not going to go over so well. So yeah. maybe I give people too much um, credit for their own <laughs> yeah, abilities and, or whatnot, their own, their own recognizing of their own shortcomings. I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's, that's totally relevant, you know, like, and let's be honest, let, that explains the probably difference of level of writing between you and I. I'm a competent writer. I like to jump. I like to do things, but nobody's filming videos of me. Like <laughs> that's just not <laughs> happening and that's okay. You know? Um, yeah. So, uh, has there ever been a jump that you needed somebody else to show you like how the line went or had to tow you in? Um, great question. Yeah. I've definitely benefited from other folks showing me through things. I think back when I was like 13, 14 hitting the BMX dirt jumps, um, good old, uh, oh man, Norcups down in San Jose, California, okay, yeah. Ryan Nyquist, Chad Kagey, Joey Garcia, Matt Martistich would all ride there on a daily basis, just really big X game size jumps. Jeez. And I'm just this tiny little kid and you know, I would just stare him down and I'd follow my friend through part of them, but he was afraid to hit all of them. So then I'd have to wait for someone who was really, really legit to show up. And then I would follow them through and that would help a ton. Just seeing that they're possible with the speed that I could get. Cause sometimes you think like, well, I could jump these, but then I'm sure everyone else is going faster when they land this jump than I'm going. And then you start to doubt yourself. But then when you can follow someone yeah. through and get towed through and you see that the speed is really the same, yeah. it's just a confidence issue that I think it definitely does help for sure. Yeah, man. For me, um, there was a series of jumps that actually uh, another friend towed me in on and she is just an absolute champ. Unfortunately, she is leaving our area and heading back to or to New York, which should be super rad riding. I mean, all gnarly out there. Um, but yeah, it was great to like watch her speed and to to watch her line and i literally you know i'm feet behind her and i just mimicked her body style and everything because i was just like all right she knows this i've watched her clear it like 10 times like if i just do what she does i'm gonna make it so uh towing in is is a great thing so um i think that kind of brings us up to kind of the final piece of all of this which is uh you know you have this recent injury and stuff and uh, one of the things that's kind of cool to watch is uh, in your latest video you reference writing your mojo specifically because of your injury and you know the geometry and stuff and we haven't really focused on gear in this episode but is there things um like that that allow you to overcome gremlins that are, you know, it's geometry oriented or gear oriented. I think that's a great topic. Uh, one of the oldest tricks in the book is to, if you want to get better at riding downhills, it's to ride a downhill bike. 
And yeah. it's because it will significantly help you overcome your mental gremlins because that bike's going to be so slack, so long traveled, mm-hmm. so confident, so stable that all of a sudden you're riding trails 30% faster than you ever thought possible. Then when you get back on your own bike and you've seen what's possible, all of a sudden your confidence level on your own bike is quite a bit higher because you're realizing, you know what, you could definitely go faster through all of this. And I do that same thing with my motorcycle going yeah. downhill on that thing, like okay. banging through the gears to getting into the power band. It's like, whoa, I'm going really fast right now, way faster than a bicycle. <laughs> yeah. And then on the bicycle, I'm heading down it. I'm like, you know, I think there's room to pick it up a little bit. So yeah, I think that's definitely a way to get past some of these gremlins. What do you think, Seth? Yeah, absolutely. Um, We actually saw this in real time with a buddy. Uh, I had sold him a hardtail. He was just getting into mountain biking. He had never really done it. Um, And I sold him this hardtail, and he charged that thing pretty hard. But when it came to kind of the techier, gnarlier stuff and jumping, there was always this kind of timidness. And he was like, yeah, man, I'm not meeting the limits of this bike. I'm not meeting the limits of this bike. And then when my Mojo 3 came up for sale, he bought that. And I pushed him really hard on buying it, too. I was like, dude, you got to buy this. You got to buy this. He's like, man, I don't need all that suspension. I don't need... Used car salesman Seth comes out. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, he's like, I don't need that. I, like, I'm not even riding at that level. Like That bike's way beyond me, blah, blah, blah. And I was like dude, you need to buy this and you you need to just understand that this is going to make you a better rider or it's going to give you the opportunity, I should say. And like, I swear within a month, he went from being like a pretty decent rider to like a full on shredder and like hitting jumps bigger than I'd ever seen him jump. He's like railing turns harder. He's doing all this stuff. And like still, if he were to jump back on a hardtail, he'd be railing it. But it really was that that bike allows him to kind of get a little a little wild, right? Like a little more stupid on things and it can save you. And that way you can build that confidence safely. Um, and so it's really cool to see that in real time because, you know, over my career, I've kind of uh, I think I've morphed really slowly or evolved really slowly. So I never felt that personally with me. Like it, it just kind of feels like this long uh, journey of like getting slowly better. But with him, I mean, it was like almost overnight, just how much better he started riding after getting on a bike that was really capable. Once it opened his eyes to what was possible and what could be had right there, what, what, what's completely doable with the right setup. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of bonkers. Cause, uh, we built this 16 foot Creek gap that, um, was super fun, uh, but pretty sketchy. Like it, it had this weird little log thing across it and whatever. Um, and he went from like hardly jumping to, man, I don't think it was even six months later. He like hits the 16 foot Creek gap and you're just like, dude, you understand <laughs> like that's next level. You've been riding for two years and you went from like barely riding your hardtail of full potential to like hucking this thing. So right. yeah. Anyways, I'll do a shout out to Jake. Hey, Jake, you'll be listening to this. <laughs> so <laughs> Nice. Anyways. Nice. Um, but yeah, how's, how has that mojo played out in your recovery? I know you mentioned it a little in your video, but maybe our listeners haven't caught that one, although you should. <laughs> so I was riding the Ritmo for a little bit, and it was okay. I could totally ride. Not like I couldn't ride very fast, but I could ride around. Um, it was kind of hard to get it off the ground. It was kind of hard to just even do a wheelie. It's a 29er, has mm-hmm. a 160 travel fork. It's got a pretty long wheelbase. It's a pretty mm-hmm. big bike. When I'm 
when I was healthy, it, it felt like a tiny little bite compared to my HD4. Mm-hmm. So it, I thought it would be fine, whatever. Didn't think much about it, rode it. And I was figured, you know, I'm still pretty hurt. This bone, all these muscles haven't recovered yet. Yeah. And then the Mojo 3, I was excited to get it back up and rideable. And I just had a, an idea that that 36 fork would make that bike way cooler. And it but did. But then it blew me away. Yeah. Well, here's what happened. I got it on the trail, and that bike has a much shorter chain stay than the Ripmo does. Mm-hmm. And the whole wheelbase is a lot shorter. And all of a sudden, I needed a lot less strength to pull it up and get it off the ground. Yeah. And with less travel, it was just easier to hit little bumps and pop it up airborne. So it was just much easier for me to ride with my weaker shoulders. And yeah, it totally is. It's been helping a ton with getting me out and able to ride. Awesome. And I'm still looking forwards for my first crash on the somewhat recovered shoulder. I desperately need to spend more time in the gym. I've been so busy with all the work stuff. But yeah, yeah coming back from an injury, one of my favorite moments, and it happens to everyone, I think, is when you realize that, yes, you can crash again. Oh, my gosh, so yes. starting the last couple of days, I've been kind of getting to that point where I feel like I probably could withstand a crash and I wouldn't just re-break it all of a sudden. But there's that initial time period after your injury where you're like, I'm fragile, I'm broken. Yep. I cannot hit the ground right now. But then you start riding, getting back into things, timid and tentatively, but you get to a point where you realize, oh, my goodness, you have like a little tip over, or you smack a tree or something, but something happens and you realize it should have hurt way more than it did. And then you're like, you know what? I can crash again. Yeah. And that's a huge boost of confidence. I'm waiting for that to happen again with the shoulder. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, man. I, I had that same experience with my shoulder. You know, granted, my injury wasn't quite as intense. Um, but, you know, it's it's been kind of a weakness for most of this last year. And yeah, there was just kind of this uh, clickover moment where all of a sudden I was like, oh, no, I can pull up hard. I can, you know, like like you said, take a wreck because I did and it didn't hurt all that much. And I was like, oh, OK, yeah, I'm good. Let's push this. So, yeah, man, I think uh, that tip over is is really crucial and stuff. So, uh, you know, as I get older, <laughs> those uh, that recovery nice. time is getting longer. Um, but yeah, right. Like I, I wish for my days of teens and 20s. But, uh, you know, at the same time, like I'm learning to really enjoy some other aspects of writing as well. And, uh, you know, it's it's pretty good. So, well, with that being said, I think that kind of wraps up this whole idea of mental gremlins. And hopefully this helps some of you out there to, uh, you know, know when to listen to them, know when to push them away, know how to push them away in a, a meaningful way that allows you to analytically think of this and to session sections and to become better writers because of it. Um, but at the same time, you know, ride within uh, your capacity and know when to back off and say, hey, not today, maybe tomorrow. So hopefully this helps. It helped me. I'm probably going to go ride this evening and put some of this to use. So we'll try that out. Right on, Seth. Well, thanks, everyone, for spending some time with us today. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and check out our previous episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, definitely shoot us an email at podcast at jensenusa.com. And be sure to follow Jensen USA's Instagram and Facebook pages for other podcast updates. Awesome. And if you're looking for more entertainment for years, make sure you check out Jeff's very own podcast series at www.jeffkendallweed.com. That's all one word. 
You can also find him on Instagram and YouTube where he drops new content weekly. You'll find tech knowledge, unbelievable writing, and heaps of infectious stoke. So make sure you check out his pages. Now, we bid you adieu, and remember, keep pedaling.